dropped off the face of the earth for the month of August but I kept getting really sick like stomach bug sick in fact I even feel sick today so hopefully this sounds okay hopefully I don't sound too bad and uh yeah we're gonna try to get through this um as quickly as I possibly can (laughs) so I can go and lay down again uh because, I don't know, maybe a, a quick synopsis of, like, how I do this. So, um, I write in advance. So, I write in research in advance. Yeah, I write in research in advance. And I will edit everything uh, that I've written, you know, to make sure it's concise and what exactly I want to say and how I want to say it and then I will schedule a day to record and because of uh the kind of monthly schedule I usually have because I don't obviously I'm not a weekly podcaster it would be too much for me alone basically you know I kind of have to record when I can uh unless other things are going on then I kind of have to push it back so every time I have tried to record lately especially especially in the month of August I started to either feel sick or other things were going on in my life where I couldn't record so I'm sorry (laughs) I've noticed I've gotten a lot of new listeners um particularly with my new music chit chat that I did so thank you for listening and hello if you are new again my name is Blair okay so before we get too deep into this episode I want to preface before we start with you know everything moves very quickly and I can say something on this podcast and uh, disagree with it within hours of after me posting it <laughs> and honestly it happens from time to time I've mentioned it before and I always have to be transparent so that has happened recently or at least in the last month or so and I again mentioned I just have not been able to come and actually uh, talk about it or clarify right so specifically after my chit chat episode where I mentioned Doja Cat and I think I said the weirder that she is the better (laughs) and I want to say I was speaking about music and aesthetics not her personal life or her personal opinions um it was almost immediately after that episode that um I'll preface with another or I'll throw in another preface with a trigger warning um for sexual assault and abuse so it was after that episode that someone came forward and had a lot of evidence about 
I don't know if they're still together, but the guy that Doja was dating, um, at least in July, <laughs> and seeing that he was a groomer and doing a lot of weird shit some years ago, and Doja promptly defended him at the time. At the same time, she's also continued to work with, you know, Dr. Luke, and I know that has been a very big point of contention for a lot of people even prior to all this when it comes to Doja. And so overall, you know, we all are aware of what type of person she is or has displayed herself to be especially at different points of her career. So, yeah. And so I can admit, like a lot of people, I did look past a lot of things to continue listening to her music because I'm not I'm not going to deny that she's a very talented MC and she's gave us a lot of great music, you know, over the past few years. So what I also want to preface... <laughs> um, before we even get even further into this, I know it's a lot of, uh, you know, just things that need to be addressed before we even start because I know how this goes. Anyways, so um, I don't want it to seem like I'm like trying to diagnose Doja or assume things or trying to excuse any of her actions or the things that she said. However, I was reminded of two episodes that I've previously done, um, which are the Mitski Humanity episode and my Fourth Wall episode, because in both of those episodes, I speak about celebrity versus humanity and fan entitlement as something that is solely, you know, because of the fan. I didn't consider the reversal, so to say, like an artist who is possibly self-sabotaging for laughs and engagement or to promote like a new thing and I certainly didn't speak about artists who 100% take for granted how easily it is for fans to simply leave when they feel disrespected because I think it's easy for people outside of fandoms to see fans and stands as deranged or out of pocket when parasocial relationships come into play and it's only been within the last year or so, I realized a lot of artists have their own parasocial relationships with their fans as well. And depending on the level of uh, genuine respect fans and artists have for each other, will the perspective actually be positive or negative? Whether these things the artists are doing are you know because they not only love being artists but they also love and appreciate their fans for putting for putting them in and keeping them in these positions right and when we talk about younger fans we have to consider younger artists artists who grew up online just like their fans did and of course being a teenager with a free range on the internet, it's easy to find a decent community and it's just as easy to find a bad community. And you end up adapting to those communities and letting your in real life personality start to reflect those things. And I can admit that I'm a victim of it as well. I used to be in community with some people online where it was common to be like a mean girl. And I started acting that out to people I knew 
in real life when I was much younger and I caught myself very quickly and I fixed that problem. So what I'm getting at is I guess when we look at someone like Doja who engages with certain communities, you know which communities, we can assess that her actual personality will reflect those communities that she's been engaging with for years. And her whole rant about her fans uh, falling for the pop music bait feels more like like a reflection of the communities that she engages with and perpetuates in her real life towards her fans who those types of communities would not actually like or they may antagonize someone who would be considered a Doja Cat fan or who falls into um, certain stereotypical criteria to be a Doja Cat fan. Does that make sense? I also think since we do know she's been engaging in these communities for so long, it's interesting that parasocial relationships or just her fans actually supporting her in the most genuine way they know how um, ends up being something that she detests. Because if most of your friendships and relationships are born from the internet, perceptions of you are only just that until you meet in real life. I have internet friends who I thought was one way when um, online and when we met, they're completely different, not in a bad way, um, but it's just your idea of who someone is online is completely grounded in a tweet or a TikTok video or just the most basic things. You only get to see these little tidbits, right? Like it's not ever going to be exactly the same, but um, it's close, right? But not really. Um, You can only perceive what someone shares with you. So you are only getting like a small dose of who that person actually is at one time and probably kind of in a funnel of this hyper fixation that either you both share or an interest that you both share or whatever topic or interest that is just being discussed at that time. And it's important to note that Doja showed her fans a particular side to herself And then snatch it away as a gotcha moment, as if it was a long game that she's been playing. And my question is then, what has actually changed? People were on her side when she shaved her hair because she was actually correct that, you know, people expected her to look a certain way because of the position that she was in and um, her identity you know, saying through female rap and the things that she was rapping about. So people expected her to present herself a certain way. Um, People were supporting her when she was, you know, adventurous during fashion weeks and um, especially at the Met Gala because it was fun to see someone actually lean into the themes again. She seems like a very fun, creative and um, very outside of the box and kind of lets her imagination take the reins when it comes to these things. And people have been supportive also of her, you know, of this newer thing that she's doing where she's more grunge and it's like grunge gore (laughs) style. Um, I mean, I kind of checked out when we got to gore, but I was fully willing to engage in the music despite all that. Because again, she makes really good music. Like, really good music. But I was thinking, 
you know, the only blip I can actually think of that was public was when she um, had the shows. I think it was in Latin America. And it was like things went severely left and her fans down there were highly disappointed in her and saying awful things to her. And when stands are kind of dogpiling on a celebrity, other stands of different artists will join in for fun because that is kind of the nature of how the internet works these days, specifically Twitter and stan Twitter. And the internet will always remind you of your past no matter what it was and when it was. So I genuinely wonder if critique from her fans about certain things that she does that feel off remind her of the internet clowning her for stuff like her wigs, you know, or it stands from other artists or, you know, it comes from the South American concert incidents that she had no control over. Just like all these critiques from, you know, all these different you know, avenues that are coming right at her. And these are the few times that she's been super critiqued as well as like, you know, the whole, like, uh, what was it? The, the chat rooms, <laughs> like, I think it's easy to laugh at those things in the moment when you are kind of, it's like, Oh, you know, people are picking on, people are picking on me, yada, yada, yada. But when it is continuous, it's like twisting the knife right like it gets frustrating it gets annoying and it can build into something that explodes later so associating her fans bombarding her with questions because accusations came out about her boyfriend because it was clear that it was kind of um starting to be a wager on their support right it's like everyone's like we can support you through this weird thing we can support you through that weird thing I'm kind of side-eyeing you here but maybe you'll move past it but this is like a line in the sand for a lot of fans right and so she goes on a giant tirade about playing her fans and making them look stupid because they enjoyed her pop efforts or simply supported her she sabotages the fan base she has as, you know, as an act to weed out the bad or the people that critique her. But in reality, she's only weeding out fans who won't coddle weirdo behavior for a celebrity, yet still does interviews about the situation to say, your fans don't actually know you. It's a choice, right? Like, it's a choice to get upset at these things to feel like you're weeding out these fans but in reality it's like mm. <laughs> like they don't know you but you need them you know you only want them to know the good parts of you and I understand that but I just think it's unrealistic right I think in order to have this genuine relationship with your fans it's unrealistic to expect them to see everything and support everything or support everything without question why am I why would you do this like it happens this is not the first time it's happened to a celebrity it's happened to multiple celebrities so it's not like this is just a doja thing you know what I'm saying but doja is definitely the one that is trying to fight back at her fans for this very thing instead of listening to what they're saying and then assessing you are just on the defense. And you know, personally, I don't think there's anything wrong with, as an artist, not wanting a big fan base. Um, 
I can admit two things, right? So one, that when I was in the beginning stages of being a fan of this act, I was one of the first set of fans for this act, right? Everything is a lot more mellow. You know, the interactions with those artists, then they always feel better and they feel more real than, you know, when things get super big and they're pulled back because with new fans comes a type of new insanity and, you know, the more attention on you, it's not just fans that are paying attention to you anymore. And then two, I've also been a part of fandom that has been established long before I got there and old fans will remind you of how much better the old days were because of XYZ and a lot of the things I mentioned before, right? So, <laughs> I don't know. So, if you've ever been in fandom, you know the effects of being in a very big fandom and actually observing a very big fandom. And not everyone can rally slash keep their fans in check when things get weird, in my experience, I've seen artists be able to regulate the fans regarding themselves, but if someone was to disrespect the artist, like another celebrity or media, then the artist can't really regulate it that much, right? Because fans do not forget, despite an artist forgiving anyone else who has done them wrong publicly. <laughs> And I started to wonder, what about artists that don't actually deal with this? Artists who have success like others, but don't have dedicated fan bases behind them. How are they sustainable in this industry that feeds off fan engagement like 90% of the time? Brands, publications, and even other celebrities sometimes need the engagement of bigger fandoms to power themselves up. The problem is people have a hard time distinguishing between loyal militant fan bases, niche, small fan bases, and general public fan bases, or what I like to call radio rotation fan bases. And I'm going to be honest, I think there is only like two celebs I can think of who fit the actual non-loyal fan base, but they did have a big fan base at one point. It's just the big wave kind of fizzled out and they still have core fans, but it's not nearly as big as it once was. But let's start with loyal fan bases, right? This is your BTS Army, your Beehive, your Swifties, your Rihanna Navy, your Harrys. These may be some of the strongest that I've seen, but there are plenty of others as well. I'm just not a part of them or I've, you know, not really been in close proximity to them is a better way to say that. Some are strong in numbers, but less in power. I would say this is like the barbs. Don't come for me, but I think y'all are a little disorganized, right? They are very vocal, but sometimes miss the mark when it actually comes time to show up for their respective artists. And so it's kind of like a joint effort between them and the general public when Nikki does anything, right? Some are only loud when it's time to show up, leaving everyone else confused because where did you all come from? And this reminds me of Selena Gomez's fans, right? It's weird, but it's true. Everyone apparently was a secret Selena Gomez fan, and I had no idea about it. I don't have a problem with Selena Gomez, but, you know, I, I feel like I wasn't the only person that was like, wow, okay, you know, <laughs> 
you know, because when I look at ARMY, I think about the organization. I have never seen a fandom do what they do, what we do, as I am a part of this too. There's a lot of actual community happening within this fandom that allows the online movement to be the way that it is. And I think looking on the outside, it is hard to really understand that without actually being a part of it and involving yourself. So you only get to see the results, right? You're not actually seeing the organizing happen, but you really kind of have to be deep in it to see it. And I don't even like participate on ARMY Twitter or anything, but I interact with enough uh, ARMY accounts that I do get to see the planning and the goals and when other fandoms um, collaborate or (laughs) other fandoms, when other artists collaborate with BTS, their fans kind of get a splash in the face of, okay, well, we didn't know that y'all did goals and like these big lists and it's a real thing that happens and it's very thorough. And it's not just like, it's just one person that just doles out this list. It's like, it's a community, like I said. And some and people in this community take this very seriously. And that's why the results always end up the way that they do. It's not just a fluke. It's not just a bunch of teenage girls only who are, you know, pushing for these things to happen for this group. It is a very well-organized set of not only teenage girls, but young women and adults who all have jobs and careers and families and stuff. And they are working really hard to push these boys forward and when I look at the hive which I am also a part of I see dedication years worth of dedication to someone who is a true artist who lets her work do the talking for her more than anything and in return of the loyalty that her fans give her she gives great long-standing media and tours and shows to follow and this kind of legacy generational talent that only she can provide no one else is really at her level so then when I think of Swifties and Harry's which I again have been a part of Harry's I see fandom that are constantly growing and loyal but the organization is not there they pull pieces from other fandoms to hold their strongholds do you get what I mean bracelets freebies dressing and theme those have been BTS and Beyonce staples for years given these these are still strong fandoms but I always think about the fluctuating nature of both fandoms like that um as a Harry I've seen people come and go lose and pick up interest as time flies in the same respect I've seen Tumblr hate then embrace then hate again you know Taylor Swift in general uh the set of fans she has now are definitely people from way back when but that dedicated side of her fandom that seems to be super honest and close with her a few years ago online during I want to say it was the reputation era they don't seem to be as fond anymore and I keep wondering why that is <laughs> I see so much um white womaning critique of her which is always valid but I still wonder what changed she's always white womaned her way through most things and still kind of is but with you know this particular tour that she's on the era's tour it's less legacy fandom that I'm seeing and more of like 
um, nostalgic for a lot of people, but also it's kind of like this moment, right? In comparison to like the Renaissance tour where it's like, this is something that people are going to remember forever. Whereas the Eras tour just kind of feels like this thing (laughs) that is trendy and you get to dress up to and you get to go and you get to be, you know, reminded of these old Taylor Swift songs. Maybe I'm thinking too much into it. Sorry if I offended you, but I just personally think that's that's just the way I've seen it. Just based off of people I know that have gone to that tour. Um, because it's not like a dedicated fan that is going. These are just young women who enjoy Taylor Swift. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know how else to explain it. It's really funny, but, you know, whatever. And, of course, with Selena Gomez fans, people were really (laughs) confused when they realized she had shooters. And, look, if you don't know Stan terminology that has been around forever while you're in your late 20s and 30s, go look it up. Like, where were you? What were you doing in your early 20s, truly? Uh, (laughs) um, I question at the time if people really were writing for Selena like that or people just didn't like Haley Baldwin Bieber who allegedly used to be notoriously awful on Stan Twitter back in the day and they were everyone was just simply happy that she was like getting hers after so long and it caused a whole fiasco didn't it but I remembered that at one point in time Selena Gomez had the most was it non-bought followers on Instagram and at the time, she wasn't even putting out music. I think people just loved her for nostalgia's sake. And at one point, she had like this crazy fashion it girl run on Tumblr and Pinterest. And quite frankly, I think we're in for a revival of some sort. So um, the number of Selena fans may sound silently be growing again. Um, unfortunately, I cannot say I actually really liked her new single, so I will not be talking about it. So let's just hope that it has to do with her acting and her aesthetics. Okay, so anyways, then we have niche, smaller fandoms. They may seem large, but they're actually not as big as you think they are. And this can be due to, uh, you know, their fans being loud, on their part of the internet the success that the artists have or it could be you know that the fandom has fluctuated so much over the years that the numbers are actually lost on fans themselves these fandoms don't usually have names to be honest uh these artists who will typically be called underrated but are widely known to internet fandom communities overall mostly because other fandoms may find themselves interested in some project at you know random that said at puts out The problem is everyone may not agree with who I'd say fits in a niche smaller fandom because, again, their fans may not think this is the case, but it usually is. But I'm sure you have some folks in mind, so we will leave it at that. Then we have the artists that the general public enjoys, and it's not even necessarily that the GP enjoys them, but these are for your people who listen to the radio. Streaming has definitely done a number on these acts, but I believe public radio still promotes these acts wholeheartedly. These are your <laughs> your flow riders, your pit bulls, and most pop dance acts that put out random songs you would have heard in a club in 2010 while trying to find the restroom. On hip-hop radio, I hate to say it, but 
don't get upset at me. <laughs> these are all the songs to sound the exact same. These are, there are times I can't distinguish uh, Lil Baby from that other rapper who always looks super surprised. And it's not to deflate their impact as rappers, but the radio plays them out so bad and they all sound the exact same and continuously make the same type of music. In general, I feel that the impact of them may have happened earlier in their careers during their come up, but it's fairly lacking now. But it doesn't mean they can't fill up like arenas because again, the GP loves them. These are people that if you got tickets for them, you just go to get out the house, not for any real reason. You know, a good chunk of their catalog by proxy to driving without a streaming service, if that's your thing. I think a great example of someone that the GP loves, but, and they have a really good fandom. I mean, have a really decent fandom, but it's kind of very quiet. It's like a Bruno Mars. He's kind of fluctuated up and down with people who are quote unquote stands versus people who are just kind of casual listeners. And I've been to a Bruno Mars, you know, concert before and people really love him. So he can fill up an arena very easily. This was long before Silk Sonic. This was long before Uptown Funk. This was a long time ago when I went to go see Bruno Mars in an arena. And it was mostly just GP. And so for my top two artists who don't have loyal fan bases, and <laughs> they once did, but they've kind of moved towards this gray area that houses some leftover fans, but is still mostly general public. Um... But they're still not, like, general public famous, you know? Like, they're famous famous, but the general public is the one that kind of spends money on them. Um, like, it wouldn't take much for them to... Like it wouldn't take much for them to get back to where they were, but I'm sure making radio music has improved their wallets so drastically. And to me, that is Katy Perry and Ed Sheeran. There was a point where Katy Perry had the Katy cats, right? <laughs> She had a giant run in the early 2010s. Prism was easily her last biggest album, but it doesn't mean she hasn't had success since Prism. But I feel like that was the last time she had a sizable, stable fan base that was fully only about her. She's released two albums since Prism, Witness and Smile. But the only notable song you can remember is wish wish right and maybe that song with the Migos I don't know same I don't know if you're new here I've spoken about something called the fourth album curse in pop music it doesn't mean the album itself is bad it can't be but it usually is a marker for a sudden change in direction musically think Beyonce's four and how after that came out self-titled popped up which was the start of a really new era of Beyonce's legacy think of Four by One Direction is the album where Zayn left. Even BTS, when you look at studio and mini albums, the fourth studio album is Wings, and the fourth mini album is The Most Beautiful Moment in Life. If you ask the most armies who were around back then, you'll be told these projects were vital in the next step of their legacy as well. However, sometimes fourth albums lead to failure or a next album that people just genuinely don't enjoy it was rushed or certain circumstances happen I did a whole episode about this covering five seconds of summer's fourth album a calm and the difference between it and their fifth album five sauce five is actually astounding not necessarily that calm was bad but it just felt like they just threw darts 
at a board and just put songs on there and the whole rollout for that album was very strange and it coupled with the pandemic and lockdown a lot of things just kind of happened and circumstances really got the best of that album but five sauce five feels more cohesively like a five seconds of summer album so Katy Perry's fourth album being probably one of her last commercial album successes and not just streaming successes should be noted. And the same should go for Ed Sheeran. His fourth album was a collab album that I didn't even know existed. On the other hand, it's important to note that I was an OG Ed Sheeran fan. I've met him. I saw him in a tiny bar for free. He is incredibly talented. But something happened between Thinking Out Loud and Shape of You and the songs he wrote for Justin Bieber and the songs he wrote with Taylor Swift but particularly thinking out loud threw him out of range of his usual fans and into general public territory and Shape of You helped that too since thinking out loud was played on the radio for what seemed like two or three years consecutively. And I honestly think it was just a giant cocktail of happenings where he still had slash has a fan base, but it's not like it was in the early 2010s when he was friends with Harry Styles and had no filter at all. I also have a theory on how alternative and indie acts somehow do music with Taylor Swift and the Swiftification happens so drastically that they are slightly unrecognizable sonically later to their original core fans. My first thought of this is Haim, because <laughs> I was also um, a really big OG Haim fan before they even released their first album when they were just releasing mixtapes and um, stuff would get leaked on uh, Tumblr. And I remember that change very well. But that's neither here nor there. It happens to him as well, along with other things. But again, it questions if someone can still be an artist with a high rate success without the loyalty of artist-focused fans behind them. And could Doja Cat do this as well? Or will she be roped off to a niche small fandom? Though we don't have her album yet, I do have theories of what may happen Firstly, I think the answer to the first question, can an artist still have a high success rate musically without the loyalty of artist-focused fans? I think, sorta. We see that success is possible, but it's at the expense of the artistry. You can become a radio mainstay without fans and even fill up some venues, but when it's time to buy an album or stream that album, that's where you kind of sorta lose, and we know that labels play a real big streaming game. And based on Doja's argument about her pop music being a phase and a trap that everyone fell for, it doesn't seem she necessarily wants that type of um, kind of um, radio success. And the reason behind the three recent songs, Attention, Paint the Town Red, and Demons being successful has a lot to do in part with her fans um shock value and of course tiktok and two out of three of those facets of the internet she has already denounced despite so furthermore while attention may be slightly more like her earlier stuff and a desire to be taken seriously as a musician and people genuinely enjoy that song paint the town red sounds just like her past two albums and the reality is it's decent um it's not bad it's not great but it's decent and it's going viral on tiktok i know a lot of people are like i don't see it on tiktok i'm like it's but it's going viral on stan 
TikTok. And if you're not there, then you kind of miss it. And I also see it in like, you know, the cooking TikToks. They always use the most popular songs because it boosts them in the algorithm. And then this last song, this recent song, Demons, I'm going to be honest, it's kind of ass. Like, it's not good. Um, the visuals are good, but the song itself is not good. Um, and it's unfortunate because we know what she's capable of. So it's just weird. It just sounds like she's sabotaging herself and leaning into a type of look at me thing to cause outrage. Something that we saw Lenon's ex do, but where Doja kind of falls flat is that Lenon's ex did this whole, you know, demon devil thing because people were being homophobic. <laughs> people were just checking Doja on her weird behavior. You know what I'm saying? Like it has nothing to do with anything else. But I understand why she's leaning into it. I used to have a theory that she would, when she started posting that, like, posting, like, demon stuff and got all her tattoos and all the devil imagery and all that kind of stuff, I had a feeling that it was so the shade room wouldn't post her because I feel like, I feel like the owners of the shade room were kind of freaked out by her and didn't want to post her for maybe religious reasons, but, (laughs) but I don't know. That's, that used to be my theory. However, implying that you want your music to be taken seriously and denouncing your pop music and your fans for enjoying it falls kind of flat when the music you're making sounds either just like the stuff you apparently didn't enjoy making or you didn't stick to the sound that everyone actually was applauding you for and then you just reduce yourself to silly schemes of making something terrible but aesthetically nice to look at. And so lastly, do I think she'll have a small niche fandom? You know, I don't know. Um, When I first initially wrote this, I said for now, maybe. It's hard to say. You know, the weird thing about uh, everything that's happening, especially with Paint the Town Red, um, is that while it is going viral, The other two songs, like, Attention was going viral for a second, too. But Demons, I have not seen really go viral for anything other than the imagery and for memes. So, I don't know. And we know that (laughs) the charts can be inflated. And TikTok definitely can inflate charts, too. So, who's to say? But what I want to really say is I can't really figure out why it feels like she's self-sabotaging. Um, like, for what reason? But even with some of the lyrics from Paint the Town Red, you'd assume she did all this to garner attention for the song that addresses half the things she said and done. Despite, again, the song sounding exactly like the stuff that she said that she hated making. And in a different world, I'd say, yeah, she probably could have a super casual fan base. Plenty of artists do. Loyal and healthy casual fans of them who show up for them. But even the artist you think has the most casual listeners also has a deep fan base. Um, Like SZA has a pretty deep fan base, but they're just kind of there. I'd even go as far and say that Meg Thee Stallion has a pretty casual fan base, but the hotties still exist. And even the most casual fan will become a hottie when need be for Meg. So... I don't know. But also the reality is Doja, like all of us, is a child of the internet. And one of the 
things her fans have always loved about her was how weird she is, but also how often she'd go live to talk to them. When you build your fan base off of shared community with your fans, you can't scold them later for participating in a space that you harbor for them while still going into that space to berate them or have them listen to you vent about them negatively. At that point, it'd be better not to interact with them at all. Hilariously, at the same time, the controversies have made not only her fans more curious, but others as well. So while I think these stunts, if not self-regulated at some point, will get old, even for her most, you know, loyal fans, because as I've stated many times, fans are fickle and when shit is going left, there is a clock ticking down. Um, and eventually you end up with a fan base you really don't want and who probably don't even like you really. They're just sitting around waiting for you to fail which happens a lot. We've seen this happen plenty of times and we've seen plenty of artists have to have to kind of rebuild their fan base and rebuild a sense of fan loyalty after doing something silly like this or their fans leaving or their fans feeling betrayed, you know? Because at the time of writing this, I don't actually see an official date for Doja's fourth album, Scarlet. We may revisit it when it comes out to see how it differs from everything else and if she sticks to her word of changing her sound into something that people will take seriously. Okay, so this is editing Blair and I'm sorry if this sounds kind of crazy, but I just wanted to get this in really quick. So since I was in the midst of editing, Doja has of course went to an event and has spoken about her album and given an actual date. It's coming out on the 22nd, which is in a couple weeks. She's going to be going up against Drake, who I believe also surprise uh, announced an album. So she probably would have had that number one secure <laughs> if it were not for Drake. But um, anyways, so what she said about the album beyond the date was that she said that it was more than likely going to sound um, a little different on the next part. So I don't know if that's due to criticism. I don't know what that's about, but we will be the judge because she said the same thing about the first part, these first singles. So maybe it will sound different now that she has actually gotten critique about it, but only time will tell. I've also seen other people, um, lately, theorizing why she might be self-sabotaging maybe has something to do with a contract that she's in I believe she's under RCA I don't know I you know it's always speculated when artists start acting kind of wonky that um especially with their music and backtracking on certain things that it has to do with the label we don't know that I'm not saying that's what it is it's an interesting theory so I guess time will tell maybe if she's trying to get out of a contract and just throw out albums really quickly, then maybe we'll see another album come out in, you know, like quarter one of next year or quarter two. But either way, just wanted to throw in this update because, of course, in the middle of me editing, she says things. So, okay, back to the episode. And my big conclusion to the question uh, can an artist be successful without a loyal fan base? Are fan bases sustainable in this industry? Both answers are yes. Yes, an artist can be successful, but probably not in the way that they want. Um, and yes, a loyal fan base slash stand base can be sustainable, but community is necessary between the artist and the fandom. Very simple. They cannot exist without each other. 
loyalty from your fans means some type of dedication and respect from you as an artist as well. It can never actually be a one-sided street when loyalty is a part of the game these days. And sure, you could easily drop these fans and pretend they don't exist after you've, you know, milked them for that loyalty as your bank account gets fatter. But what happens when you actually need them again, which usually is sooner than you think? So yeah, I've just been kind of pondering over this for maybe the past couple months about fans being sustainable in an industry like this or you know can you actually move without having to have a big fan base but clearly I think that you have to just with the way that everything is now you know maybe it'll evolve and you won't need to but I feel like it's just I just think at the core of everything right now are fans and people can dislike that people can disagree with me but it's the truth you know, you can love making music, you can love singing, you can love being on stage, you can love doing all these things, but what matters, what, what does it matter if people don't support it? So, yeah, so, yeah, that is, <laughs> that is my episode. Hopefully it didn't drag on too long. I have a few ideas coming up, and yeah so hopefully you will stick around I will try not to be gone as long as I was this last time hopefully I will start to feel better I've been trying to participate on the AMP app I can't try to say that so quickly and it just won't work so yeah AMP app um it is kind of like um a kind of DJ radio live stream type of thing I've done it once just to get a feel for it and I kind of like it and yeah, I don't have a set schedule for anything I'm going to be doing because it's a little hard for me to do like sporadic things like that at the moment. But maybe I will try to have a theme surrounding an episode in the near future where we can do AMP and plan it and anyone who wants to come and listen can. It's free. You try it out. Um, you don't have to pay anything, but I am... So Blair W. Cohen on there, Blair with no E. So yeah, hopefully you will uh, come listen. And also check out some of the other creators on AMP. It's really cool. So yeah, that is my show. That's my episode. Um, hope you enjoyed it. Uh, as usual, you know, you are loved and you're cared for. Don't let this world get to you too bad. I know it is a hellfire, but you know, you're still loved by someone, someone in in Tennessee <laughs> so yeah until next time bye